Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, this is going to be a little bit complicated, but this is a very important topic we need to work for. We need to work through because it gets to something that a lot of people want to see done, but it's a buzzword and there's a lot of technicalities to do it. I'm going to talk a little bit about marijuana, about cannabis, about THC, about regulation and a thing called Delta 8 and the difference between Delta 8 and Delta 9. Jessica Dobrinsky is joining us and she's going to explain it to us. Uh, she's with the Cardinal Institute out of West Virginia. She's based out of Pittsburgh, but for the purposes of this conversation, we will not hold that against her. Jessica, how are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. This is going to get a little technical to start with, but we have to get a baseline of what we're talking about because the overarching debate in America is legalize, don't legalize, decriminalize, criminalize. The problem is once you get past that sloganeering, there's a lot of really in-depth technical stuff to how this stuff works, isn't it? Because even something that's legal, like THC, and as you're highlighting here, even law enforcement don't seem to have real good boundaries on what they are supposed to be and not supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, where do we start with this? Because we've seen the news breaking out of California now. We've got data from a couple of years of quote-unquote legalization. That's not going well. We know the war on drugs is not going well. Where do we even start with this? Because if we can't legalize it correctly and we can't decriminalize it correctly and we can't keep it criminal correctly, I don't even know where to start here. Do you have a better idea? Yeah, I think that a great place to start is looking back at the 2018 Farm Bill. Um, THC and CBD products were categorized as agricultural commodities. And this allowed different businesses and entities to go ahead and start creating these products. However, it never explicitly said things like Delta 8 or Delta 9 and therefore have created a lot of different legal uh, issues. 
is it a legislative problem? Is it a legalese problem? Is it a lobbying problem? Why was this not more specifically fleshed out, whether it's a local law, a state law, whatever the case may be? Is it just la- lazy legislating? Was it oversight? Because this is kind of a big deal. When, uh, we all remember the story last year, the truck driver that was hauling hemp, they wrecked that dude's entire life for a couple of months until they finally got it cleaned up. And it turned out he didn't do anything wrong. The police were wrong. If even the law enforcement, and and I don't want to say they're all being malfeasant here. Some of them's probably honestly trying. If it's this complicated, is it the legislative problem? Is it law enforcement? Where's this problem coming from that they can't get specific about this sort of thing? Yeah, I think kind of all of those can be true in different ways. I think that one important thing about the 2018 Farm Bill is that it allowed for these agricultural commodities, but it never explicitly said that things like Delta 8 and Delta 9 um, were permitted to be to be sold and things like that. However, from kind of the way that agricultural commodities are written, you can kind of infer that those are grouped under that. However, with that vague uh, language, states probably need to go in and clean it up just, you know, based on how, how they view that interpretation and therefore provide actual guidance to law enforcement on if they should handle the issue um, and, and what their role is. What's the difference? Because we we hear the term Delta 8, Delta 9. What's the big deal? Because one of them is completely legal and the other one gets you in trouble. And when police are just going off, well, it smells like one thing. That's not much of a standard. But start with the nomenclature. So everybody's on the same page here. What is the actual difference between Delta 8 and Delta 9 and THC? Yeah. So as far as Delta 8 and Delta 9 is concerned, some states allow for both and others allow for Delta 8, but not Delta 9. And the differences um, there are the reactions that are caused by each. Um, Delta-8, from what I understand, is a little bit more mild um, in its contents, whereas Delta-9 has a stronger component of THC in it. Now, the other part of this is because smoke shops, um, there's still a lot of laws on the books about drug paraphernalia. And again, here's another term that needs to probably be defined a lot better than it is. You touched on this. Part of the problem here is legal smoke shops are selling THC. They're selling um, cannabis adjacent products that are legal or are being legalized, depending on the local laws. But they have other products. They'll have, you know, glass pipes, whatever the case may be. Part of what we're dealing with here is law enforcement has been trained for generations of where there's one, there's the other. Right. So if there's drug paraphernalia, there's going to be drugs. Is this also a training problem? Is it a a culture within law enforcement of trying to kind of de-learn what they've always been because you wrote about this. They're going in these shops and these shops have to remove this stuff. It's thousands of dollars of inventory. These are, this is probably make or break for a retail store for something like this to happen. Is that part of the story here too? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think necessarily the full blame is on law enforcement in this issue of drug paraphernalia. Um, I think there is definitely an old school way of thought, but at the same time, a lot of states have these outdated laws on the books. And just by simply having a glass pipe, which can be used for multiple things, tobacco uh, being one of them, you know, it, it puts a lot of businesses in weird positions and creates kind of enemies out of law enforcement that shouldn't exist. Let's talk about some of those laws because they've tried to clean some of this up. You highlighted the 2018 uh, Farm Bill legalized, quote unquote, agricultural commodities. What that was meaning was things like hemp, like CBD, like THC. That was Delta 8, not the Delta 9 that we already got into the sticky wicket of that. But even in that bill, 
they didn't include the name of the cannabis-based projects, such as the Delta 9, that should be illegal. So again, even when they're trying to fix it, they're not really clearly differentiating here. Yeah, exactly. And one interesting thing, too, is that the Ninth Circuit back in May actually had a ruling on this exact issue. And they said that it was allowed to be sold, but they were allowed to exist, but they never really spoke to the uh, fact of interstate commerce. So, again, it's still despite going to the courts is having some gray areas. And again, not to beat up on law enforcement, because this isn't all their fault. But what happens is, is when they don't have specific guidance like that, they're always going to lean towards the crackdown side of the house, right? That's just their right. natural inclination on this. But now you're talking, you're not talking about, you know, illicit criminals or back alleys. You're talking about small business owners. We've all seen the smoke shop and the vape shop and the strip mall, right? That's who's getting cracked down on here. That's commerce. That's jobs. That's economic stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the economy for this stuff? Because I don't think people realize how big this is. You touched on it. The CD, the CBD market. See, I even have trouble saying it. The CBD market sales are projected to be up to around 16 billion by 2026. That would be in line with what the e-cigarette industry is doing. Um, small business owners, you highlighted, I'm reading this from your piece. Small business owners in North Carolina saw the store welcome its largest revenues from year to year sales of Delta 8 products ever. You just talked about the Ninth Circuit ruling in May. Where's this going? Is it going to continue to work its way through the courts? Um, do these shop owners have some legal recourse to try to fight this in court? What's going to be the future of this over the next coming years, you think? I think the deciding factor on where these nuances will be cleared up is actually going to be in state departments of agriculture. Um, they oversee a lot of this stuff and they hand down a lot of instructions to law enforcement. And by allowing them to have a little bit more control and ownership on these commodities will absolutely clear up some some loose ends. Now, how is this overlapping with legalization efforts? So places like California, where they have some legalization, not as much as what prob people probably think it is, but it's highly regulated. You know, we've seen the headlines now. It, it's a mess. It's creating black markets. It's it's not it's not going well. Let's just leave it at that. What kind of overlap does that go into trying to regulate the rest of the country where this stuff isn't legal? Because this just adds to the chaos, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, it's going to depend on each state. But I think one thing that legislatures should keep in mind is harm reduction. And that harm reduction must first and foremost accept that drugs will never be completely gone. They will always exist no matter how much we want them to go away. And in order to kind of mitigate some of those harder drugs and and, you know, getting people off the things that can actually kill them. Marijuana is a really great way to do that. And so I think once people start to come away from this old school of thought and really consider that, I think it'll be far more popular than we realize. What what would be the catalyst to really start changing this in legislators? Um, is it going to be an event? Is it going to be some kind of data study? What do you think would change the current environment? Because it seems like it's just kind of inertia of not going anywhere right now. Yeah, I think it's hard to say because, as you mentioned, all of the data is really there. And we've been learning from doctors for quite some time now that this is really beneficial to a large group of people, everything from anxiety to more severe things like bipolar disorder. And again, we've seen studies that it helps people who are dealing with uh, severe illnesses like cancer as well. So honestly, I think Delta 8 and Delta 9 really are kind of the gateway to more acceptance in the public. And I think that's why these laws are so crucial to clear up. Yeah. Jessica Dabrinsky joining us. 
on her tail. Going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to continue to talk about her piece. It's in counterpunch.org. We're going to link to it. A lot of links inside of that piece that you need to read through all them as well. Going to talk about what people actually use this for. It's not just a list of drug use, mental health needs, health needs, and how the regulation and the laws need to adapt for those purposes as well. Jessica Dobrinsky joining us on Tell as we continue right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Our friend Jessica Dobrinsky, Young Voices contributor. She's with the Cardinal Institute in my home state of West Virginia, although she lives in Pittsburgh. Don't tell anyone. Those two things don't usually go together, of course. Sorry we're a little salty over the pit game last week. Uh, Jessica, you, you wrote about it in your piece here. Let, let's back up for a second. One of the reasons why people push for legalization, we, we know the, the social justice part of it. We know the criminal justice part of it. We know the war on drugs part on it. There's actually a lot of studies now, and you touch on it as well. A lot of people just want this as a self-medicating option for good, valid reasons, uh, mental health reasons, depression, pain management. Is that part of this that we should probably be paying up more as like, hey, we have healthcare costs, we've got opioid addictions, things like that. This is something that could help if it's in a regulated and controlled way. Would that be a better way of approaching it than just talking about the law enforcement side of this or the culture war side of this, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And as I said in my piece, there's a very valid concern for a lot of business owners, but there's also a valid concern for consumers. Now, there are probably plenty of people that use it recreationally, but for those who maybe don't have health insurance or can't get a medical marijuana card, maybe they decided to dabble in this instead to really see if this could help their issues. And we've seen from multiple different research studies that plenty of people are actually using this to mitigate some of those mental health concerns. You don't want people just going off willy nilly with this stuff. Um, but you know, again, why can't they just write some plain language stuff like, you know, Hey, your doctor can prescribe this or your mental health care provider can prescribe this. We know the scheduling debate, which is a little bit different, but it fall, it kind of overlaps the Delta eight Delta nine thing you're touching on. Is it addressing the scheduling? Is it something that should be pushed through the healthcare side of a healthcare reform What's the best avenue to attack it when it comes to things like this? Because, you know, you even got people like the VA advocates are saying, hey, this could help our mental health folks with things like PTSD. You have people, uh, cancer patients and others like, hey, this is a pain management thing. So we can stop giving them these opioids that are causing all these other problems. What's the avenue to talk about this better? Because until you change the conversation, you're probably not going to get any traction on it. What's a better way to have the conversation, do you think? Yeah, again, I think starting with the farm bill and clearing up that language is a great start because right now with unclear language and as we're seeing with law enforcement, it's being interpreted as something very legal and something we're still not allowed to do. Um, So allowing that language to be cleared up and see that it's a valid business, it's a valid product, um, will definitely start to make the changes. And then from there, we can talk about scheduling. Now, of course, the Farm Bill is a federal piece of legislation. Part of this is because the states all have their different way of dealing with it. Some of that's baked into our system. You're always going to have different laws state to state. Would it be more beneficial to do some kind of an amendment or or fix the Farm Bill? They could pass, you know, you know, a one or two page fix for something like this. Just clean up language. They do that all the time. Yeah. Again, clearing up those nuances is really just, I think, the perfect start. And then from there, I think, is when state legislatures can start to act on it, whether they want to expand whatever the the federal government decides those things fall under or whether they want to keep it a little bit more strict. 
Yeah. When you started looking at this, did you look at the, when you look at the business side of this, do we need to tell the people story of this more? Because, you know, like we've, we've been talking, we've been talking about Delta eight and Delta nine. These are heavy terms. This is terminology. We talk stats. We talk mental health care. When you just sat down to write about this, you go across the human stories, right? You go across the businesses that are in trouble. Talk about those for a minute, because sometimes I think we get too too wonky with our policy. Talk about some of those personal stories that kind of put a face on this sort of a topic. Yeah, so uh, two states, Kentucky and Georgia, were the most recent to to have issues with this. And one of the shop owners said that it felt like it was a big a big raid, and that they were having so many drugs, and it you know it was a lot bigger of a deal than it was. Um, and then another shop owner received a letter saying that they were responsible for uh, illicit substances that were um, causing illness or or death to children. And so it's a lot of um, pointing fingers without a whole lot of conversation. And so it's causing a lot of business owners, again, to really be hurt by these circumstances. Yeah. And one of my things has always been is we should have a criminal justice system that doesn't create more criminals if we can help it. And that seems to be what we're doing here. Um, Jessica Dabrinsky joining us. What got you on this topic? Because, you know, you don't you don't accidentally Google Delta eight and Delta nine variants of CVC. Right. What is it that hits you about this as you do your research, as you work with things like Cardinal Institute and Young Voices and you're you know, you're a freedom loving person. What sucks you into a topic like this of like this needs to be addressed? Yeah, so unfortunately, West Virginia, despite all of the good things about our state, are known for a lot of bad things, one of them being the opioid epidemic. So when I saw that Kentucky was starting to change these, try to change these laws and enforce things that I knew could actually help people get off of opioids, I started to perk my ears up a little bit and research the topic a little bit more. And that's when I realized there, again, are a lot of those nuances that definitely need to be cleared up for people like uh, West Virginians. I've asked this question before, Jessica Dabrinsky joining us. Harm reduction is a tough sell to the average person because to them, it sounds like, oh, well, you're excusing criminality or you're excusing addiction or you're excusing everything. It, it's a tough sell because how do we tell people like, look, when you're dealing with addiction, when you're dealing with drug use, when you're dealing with opioids, you got to give people an intermediate step. They're not going to go from zero to 100. Talk about the harm reduction piece because you you put it in your piece on this on purpose because the harm reduction, that's the science part of this, of like, look, there's science, there's research that harm reduction, it's not a great thing. It's not even a good thing. You could argue it's a bad thing, but it's a lot less bad than this other thing. And that's the intermediate step we need. Talk about that for a minute, because I think harm reduction is something we have a hard time talking about it, but that's really going to be the key to a lot of this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So a 2021 study um, actually said that majority of people um, that were using Delta-8 were using it for mental health purposes. And so obviously with a lot of opioid use, it, it starts with mental health issues that, that can't be mitigated or a lot of feelings of hopelessness and such too. So if these are able to mitigate mental health issues, then of course it's going to help people get off of opioids as well. What can people do about this? Like there's the cliche, you know, call your senator, call your congressman, call your, you know, your legislator or your state senator or whatever the case may be. That's all well and good. 
how should people be discussing? Let, let's just start with something basic. When they talk about it on social media, just saying legalize it, that doesn't really tell anybody anything. What's a way that folks could talk about this in a productive way on their social media to kind of advance the conversation a little bit, do you think? I think the number one thing is open dialogue. I think a lot of people on both sides of the spectrum, when they hear the opposition talk about this issue, whether it's pro or against, start to get a little bit defensive. And I think there are valid concerns for, for both sides, contrary to what a lot of people are willing to think. Um, and I think from there, looking at the science behind things, how it can actually help people, um, I think it will kind of break a lot of those stigmas because for a long time, we've kind of conflated marijuana use to something as crazy as heroin. Um, and that's just simply <laughs> nonsensical. So I think from from there, we can start to really help people. All right back where we started it's a complicated topic it's a tough topic what's the new course of action is it going to be legislative is it going to be legal action is it a mixture of the both if it's a mixture what's the ratio where, where do we go from here do you think for people that really care about this issue and want to see some you know some kind of progress on it that's positive yeah i think if legislatures or states want to do something about it tomorrow the first thing that they can do is start to clear up their own state language and to whether say that if Delta 9 or Delta 8 is included or not until properly allow these different uh, powers to go to their Department of Agriculture. How amazing is it that we have this much problems where you have people, you know, unjustly getting arrested because the language in a bill isn't just perfect? I mean, isn't there kind of a little bit of a lesson there of like, you know, we talk about all the culture war stuff and we talk about the political wars and we talk about the buzzword. You really do have to do the nuts and bolts of legislating to make government work. Is is that kind of the lesson here of like, hey, we really need to pay attention to what our legislators are doing on the boring stuff that doesn't trend and doesn't show up on our, you know, Facebooks and Twitter feeds? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's abundantly clear, too, for these issues that they think nobody cares about or are just minor things, is that every single piece of legislation needs to be fine-tuned and ensure that the intent is there. Yeah, especially when it's regulations that have the full weight and force of law behind it, where people can go to jail, lose their livelihoods and lose their businesses. Uh, Jessica Dobrinsky, this is great stuff. It's a tough topic, but you wrote about it really, really well. We're going to link to the whole piece. Make sure you read the whole thing for yourself. Like we always say, she's got a lot of links in there, too. All those datas and stats, she's got that all sourced. Make sure you read through that as well. Uh, we'll have you back on again because this isn't going away anytime soon. We, Like we said, the California stuff's a mess, so they're probably going to re-regulate that, and God knows where that goes. Till we get you back on the show, though, let folks know where they can keep up with you, your social media, what you've got going on with Cardinal Institute and with Young Voices, Till we see you again on Hertel. Yeah, so my Twitter is JL Dobrinsky. Uh, last name is D-O-B-R-I-N-S-K-Y. <laughs> Many people get that uh, confused with an I. But other than uh, some of my stuff, on uh, drug paraphernalia. I also focus on healthcare of certificate of need. So you can find my paper as well on that at thecardinalinstitute.com. Yep, she does good work. We're going to link to all that. You can also find her on the Young Voices page. She does great work. Another one of our great Young Voices contributors that we love to have on, Jessica Dobrinsky. We appreciate you so much. Best of luck surviving Pittsburgh. And we'll talk again real soon, my friend. Thank you so much. All right, take care.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.